The other challenge sometimes we have are just mindset because for a lot of people around the world, they don't really bring their family members who have disabilities out of the house. And for some people, there are a lot of stigma surrounding having special needs or having a child or family member that has special needs or disability. And they see me allowing my daughter to live out loud and in living color. And they're just perplexed. I oftentimes get comments like, wow, I really admire how you just let her be herself because my daughter uh, has a lot of confidence. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman currently based in Spain, and I am not only a podcaster, but I'm a business strategist who helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable businesses, businesses that make them financially abundant while professionally fulfilled, businesses that they can take abroad to cultivate a life well lived. That is what I do. If you have an idea, a side hustle, a business that maybe is not as profitable as you'd like it to be, Go ahead and download my Build a Business Abroad guide at flourishintheforeign.com and consider joining me in the next cohort of Build a Business Abroad group coaching. This award-winning podcast is a labor of love, but labor. Nonetheless, I ask all of you to please support this here podcast if you like it, if you love it. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourishforeign. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and you have written a review for this podcast on any of the platforms that you may be listening on. So be it Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever, please rate the podcast five stars and leave me a review. And of course, please do continue sharing the podcast with your friends, your family, whomever. Please share this podcast with them because that is how this podcast grows. All right. On to the next episode. Today's episode is with Candace Smith, who currently lives in Istanbul, Turkey. And this conversation was so rich and encompassed so many different topics. It's really quite amazing, actually. As I was editing it, I was like, we talked about everything in this episode. We talked about moving abroad with a special needs child, world schooling, accessibility abroad, her experience living in both Rome and Istanbul, dating abroad, Black women's relationship with desirability and exoticism, having a chronic illness abroad, and so much more. This episode is just jam-packed and amazing, but I'm going to let Candace tell you all about it. My name is Candace Smith. I am 43 years old and I live in Istanbul, Turkey. I think for me, I was always that person that was very curious about other people's cultures. From as early as I can remember, I was always fascinated by different languages and different cultures and just people who looked different from me. Actually, at one point in time, I was extremely obsessed with ancient Egyptian culture and I taught myself to write in hieroglyphs. Looking back on my life now, it's no surprise that I am where I am and living the life that I'm living now because it was just always a part of me. I had started traveling internationally probably about five or six years prior to coming to Istanbul. And uh, I had lived in Puerto Rico. I, I was married at the time and my ex-husband's Puerto Rican and he wants to move back to the island. And I think that was really my first experience as a quote unquote expat, even though 
Puerto Rico is United States territory. It's, it's still another country in and of itself. And uh, I didn't know that that's what it was called, being an expat or immigrating or anything. I, all I knew, I was just following my then husband to his island country because that's where he wanted to be and just experiencing that. And at that time, that was really kind of pre-Facebook. There wasn't a lot of information online about moving abroad. All of that was new. I don't even think YouTube really existed. And if it did, it probably was like in its very early early phases. At any rate, fast forward to after I got divorced, I was really just trying to find myself. And a part of that was just getting my mind right. And I realized I needed to just get away from my environment so I can get a different ex- perspective on life. And I went to Paris for the first time. And when I was in Paris, that was it for me. That was that defining moment that made me realize I could see myself living outside the United States. The U.S. is not the center of the universe or has to be the center of all my experiences. And from that point, it just became a mission to get back on this side of the planet. Every time I would leave, I was like, oh my God, I just want to be back. I traveled uh, to quite a few places. I, I went back to Paris. I ended up going to Spain, both Madrid and Barcelona. I went to Ghana, West Africa. I went to Germany. And then finally, I went back to Spain. This was my third trip to Spain. I went back to Barcelona to do a sabbatical. And I came back. And just so happened, my friend, we we had planned a trip to go to Rome, Italy, probably about six weeks after my return from Spain. And in my mind, I was like, oh my God, do I really want to pack another suitcase? You know, this was her first time leaving the country. So she was like super excited. I was like, fine, let me just, you know, get back in the travel spirit and go. And we landed in Rome and it was like, I fell in love. I was like, this is it. I turned to her. I think we were a day or two into our journey there in Rome. And I'd said, I'm moving here. And she's like, are you serious? As I'm dead serious. I'm out of here. We were only there for 10 days, but before I left, I'd already spoken to my Airbnb host about coming back and having a place to live. And that was solidified. And then I started doing all the research that I needed to do because I knew I had, with the Shenyang visa, I could only stay a total of 90 days within a six month period. So I was like, oh goodness, I'm gonna have to find a way to uh, stay in the country longer. What are my options? I am a mother. So, and my daughter has cerebral palsy and she's autistic. I was homeschooling her anyways at that time. And we were doing a lot of world schooling. Her school wasn't a problem, but still I had to find a way, figure out, okay, how I'm going to take my daughter with me, our animals, because we had two small dogs and, and everything. So my life in a moment completely shifted And here I was on this journey to leave the U.S. as fast as I possibly could. I owned a beauty salon. I I talked to my sister. I said, sis, I I have to leave. She said, don't worry. I'll I'll manage things. Eventually, we ended up closing the salon only because she ended up um, finding out she was pregnant months later and she just didn't have the energy to manage and by then I knew I wasn't going to come back to the U.S. So I was like, let's just shut the salon down. That that in and of itself, that's another story because that was a very difficult decision to make. But since I was on the journey of prioritizing my own personal happiness, I really kind of didn't care. I found myself needing to be in, in Italy. And being in Italy was such a, a beautiful experience for me to this day. people ask me, how do I compare Rome to Istanbul? And it's like, it's like loving two different men at the same time. I can't really compare. It's not even fair to compare because they're two different cities and they provide me with two different things. But I, I found myself living in Italy for two years and it was such an amazing experience for both my daughter and myself. It, it just shifted my whole mindset. It shifted me as a woman. It is kind of funny. I said how I ended up in Istanbul because I found myself 
taking a, a trip. This was February of 2020. And I ended up coming to Istanbul. So I had this whole little trip planned out. It was supposed to be a 10 day trip. In the back of my head, I was thinking that perhaps I had wanted to stay longer, but I had to rush back to Rome because my dogs, I had my dogs there with my dog sitter. My mom had flown from Florida to Rome to come get my daughter to take her back for some grandma time because being there by myself, I really didn't have the support system, uh, a really strong support system. And so I was feeling kind of burned out. My mom was like, oh, I'll come take her back for a couple months. So I was like, okay, that'll be great because then she can have some grandma time with you. I can go to Istanbul, which I was going for both business and pleasure because I wanted to check out to see how the medical tourism business was. At any rate, I ended up arriving here in Istanbul on the European side and it it was quite different. I'll say that from, from Rome. And it it wasn't that immediate. I fell in love like that, but it was very interesting and unique. And about two or three days into my trip, I get a text message saying that my flights had been canceled back to Italy due to COVID. And this of course was right at that peak time when Italy was experiencing a spike in COVID cases and the numbers were on the rise and a lot of different countries were closing their borders to Italy. And I was like, oh my goodness. I had some of my friends in Italy like, oh, you need to hurry up and get back. And I just, when things happen, I'm the kind of person, I just stay still. So I'm like, okay, I I just need to see what's going on here and listen to my own spirit. As I think the day or a day or two after I received that text message that my flights had been canceled, I received another message that the Italian government had decided to close its borders and undergo a strict lockdown. As at that point, uh, I realized I was not going to be getting back to Italy anytime soon. And during that time, there was about a three or four week period before Turkey went under lockdown. So I had a good month to this really kind of experience the city. And that's when I really kind of fell in love with the city. And I realized I can live here. Just so happened I had a meeting on the Asian side of Istanbul, because of course, Istanbul is the only city in the world to to lie on two continents. It's divided by the Bosphorus. So you have the European side and you have the Asian side. I went over to the Asian side and I realized, wow, I really feel like I could, could live here because the Asian side is much more calm and relaxed and for living. I, I feel it's more for living everyday life. Anyways, I, I started crunching some numbers and I realized I could better leverage earning U.S. dollars in Turkey than trying to make it happen in Italy. And from that point, I decided that no matter what, I was going to stay in Istanbul and and, and live here and make this my international home, home hub. And that was pretty much it. I, I ended up purchasing a, an apartment here, an investment property here. And we've been here ever since. I asked Candace to describe to me what it has been like moving abroad with a special needs child. Wow, that that is really a good question. I I think one of the things that gave me the courage to leave with my daughter is because I was not that reliant on a lot of the services in the U.S. to begin with. But as far as the logistics of moving with her, I was already homeschooling her. That's one. Traveling with her can be challenging. And and I guess just the semantics of just traveling with someone with special needs. I think the good thing is that airlines really do provide really great service for people who, who have disabilities, who have special challenges. So just making sure that when we booked our tickets, I made sure that the airlines were aware of those things. And so I can really say the airlines always really provided really excellent service with that from 
wheelchair service. And my daughter is mobile. She can walk. But in the airports, that can sometimes be challenging, especially if you have to walk from one terminal to another terminal. It's very long. The airlines really help out a lot with that. I normally fly um, at nighttime when she's sleeping. That, That makes it a lot easier too. And then I do utilize natural herbs and I carry those with me in my bag to kind of keep her calm and things like that. I think for me, since I've exposed my daughter to so many different cultures over her life, she really ebbs and flows through different cultures very easily. um, And she speaks multiple languages. It, It wasn't really too difficult. My main concerns when it came to relocating and finding an apartment, it really had to be an apartment that had an elevator, making sure that there were certain amenities in the neighborhoods so that, you know, she could kind of maneuver and get around and have at least a little bit of autonomy when it came to living her life. Facebook has been a really great resource for me. I can easily connect with other moms and other people who have children with special needs. And that's usually what I have done. I'll just put a request out there. Hey, are there any other moms in the area who have children with special needs or special life challenges? Would you all like to meet up? What are the resources? And I've really been able to find that usually. Now here in Istanbul, since I consider this my home now, I find myself in a place of being the connector or the event organizer. I am putting together some things for people, teens and young adults with special life challenges and and disabilities here, just because I feel like that's in general, a neglected part of the population. And so when it comes to socialization, which has been really tough for all of us during COVID and and what we're all dealing with, even more so with people who are autistic, have cerebral palsy, they've had their schedules interrupted. I'm actually putting together some activities, but usually some of the things that I do uh, in general to just prepare my daughter for international travel and to move is we just start, and especially with autism, because you have to prepare them in advance and just talk about it multiple times when you're getting ready to make a tremendous change. I'll start telling her about it in advance. We'll start looking at videos We'll start uh, experimenting with the foods. We'll start talking about the culture. We'll go on YouTube and look at the videos. And that's how I start mentally preparing my daughter for the change. And that way, when we actually get there, she's okay with it and she's more acclimated. Because like I said, changing schedules, changing environments, any sort of change at all is very challenging for people with autism. But I, I hope that I can serve as an example of not limiting yourself and your international experience simply because you have a child with special needs. Because I know a lot of a lot of people are scared. They don't even want to leave their city because they have uh, a child with uh, special life challenges. Just thinking, you know, now that you asked the question and I'm thinking about the different challenges that sometimes we have. Some of the challenges we do have, especially in Europe, as you likely know, a lot of the buildings are old. And a lot of times when we go places, the bathrooms are either upstairs or downstairs. <laughs> and I find that a lot of buildings and businesses are not compliant for people with special needs, not the way that they legally have to be compliant in the States. That can sometimes be challenging. And we had one situation where my daughter almost fell because of how the stairs were. What she and I have started doing now, especially here in Istanbul, we started making a list. We have a running list of cafes and restaurants and really cool places that are friendly as far as the layout of the restaurant cafe is concerned. That is very friendly for people who might have impediments is walking or they may be in wheelchairs. I think the other challenge sometimes we have are just mindset because for a lot of people around the world, they don't really bring their family members who have 
disabilities out of the house. And for some people, there are a lot of stigma uh, surrounding having special needs or having a child or family member that has special needs or a disability. And they see me allowing my daughter to live out loud and in living color. And they're just perplexed. I oftentimes get comments like, wow, I really admire how you just let her be herself because my daughter uh, has a lot of confidence. She has a really big personality. She's a total sweetheart, but she has a really big personality. And anybody who's seen pictures of her on Instagram, they know that she loves like Japanese anime and she loves dressing in the Hirajuku uh, style or the, the anime fashion. She loves that. So I allow her to express herself in that way. And just on top of us usually being different for the environment by being Black, which you're going to get stared at anyways in this environment, it's doubly so because she dresses that way and she has a disability. But luckily for her, her confidence is so high. It's never shaken. And it, she really loves how people always want to come up and take pictures with her, which is funny. Uh, and children absolutely love her because I think they think she's big old baby doll or something like a living baby doll. They love to run up to her and take pictures with her because she dresses very colorfully and she's always smiling and waving at the children. But I think mindset wise, as far as what she adds to the environment, wherever we are internationally, is just, I think she adds the possibility of what can be because a lot of people are surprised at her intellect. They're surprised that she has an opinion on what happens in the world. And they're surprised at how knowledgeable she is about what is going on in the world, as well as how quickly she's able to grasp languages and just kind of blend into cultures. I think it's quite interesting. And my parenting journey is obviously unique in that sense. But again, it's something that I don't consider to be an impediment to my being a global citizen and us experiencing the world together. I asked Candace to describe to me what is world schooling and why she decided to world school her daughter as opposed to going the more traditional enroll your child into local school route. World schooling is essentially it's homeschooling, but just with the global international um, component in there. I have homeschooled my daughter for many, many years. I actually pulled her out of the public school system in the States just because she wasn't getting what she really needed. And I got sick and tired of the IEP meetings and people telling me what they could and could not afford for my daughter. So I pulled her out of school when they told me that they could not afford for her to have a one-on-one aid when she was entering middle school. And I was just like, okay, she's, I know she's going to likely get hurt or injured. And just so that I don't end up in jail somewhere. I was like, let me just pull her out. And before that, I had actually pulled her out for a short period of time. But at that point, I pulled her out completely. And we started doing online curriculum. When you homeschool, you do have to notify your local school district of your intent to homeschool your child. Because of course, most places have in the States have truancy laws where if you don't take your child to school, you could be facing some sort of criminal charges. Once we got all of the legalities out of the way, I used a combination of different things to homeschool her. And a lot of those things were online tools. But what I realized when we started traveling internationally, one, I realized that homeschool allowed for the flexibility to be able to travel whenever we wanted to because I wasn't on the school schedule. I didn't have to wait until Christmas break to go somewhere internationally. I didn't have to wait till spring break. What I would start doing is when we would travel places, I would take advantage of being in that actual location to incorporate different lessons. When we went to Paris, we would study the Eiffel Tower, the history of the Eiffel Tower. When was it built? 
when we were in Paris, we did the Black in Paris tour, which was really wonderful because I tried to show her reflections of herself and where other Black people have made an impact on the culture wherever we go, which in, which in most cases, usually we have made some sort of, of positive impact on the culture in some sort of way. So we did the Black in Paris tour, and that was very interesting, learning about Afro-American history in particular, Josephine Baker. And I found that wherever we go, we can always do really cool, interesting school lessons and incorporate that into the learning. I mean, it's one thing to read about the Pantheon, but it's another thing to see it in person, touch it, to walk inside of it. And I, I oftentimes what I will do is I'll ask my daughter, uh, our Mondays are usually our planning day where we kind of set the pace and the momentum for the week. And I'll ask her, what is it that you want to learn? about this week? What do you want to learn about life? What what are you curious about? And we base her her lessons, what she's feeling for the moment. And I know that's very unorthodox, but I find that she learns better that way. I remember one one time in particular when we were in Rome and she's like, Mom, I really want to know why are there so many Egyptian obelisks all over Rome in the diff- in the various piazzas. I said, you know what? That's a really great question. Let's find that out. And so usually based on her natural curiosity, we can usually incorporate many different lessons. We can, based off of that one question of why are there so many different obliques, it led us down a path where we talked about history. There was a love, an ancient love story involved. We ended up having to go to the the Vatican Museum, which led to conversations about religion, politics, power, and mathematics based off of that one question. And so I love world schooling because I feel she's able to really get a a well-rounded education and that the lessons that she's learning will really stick with her for the rest of her life. And it's just really wonderful to see how she's unfolding as a a young woman based off of this style of of teaching. And I mean, and there, and the great thing about it is there, again, I'm not the only one doing this. A lot of times you can connect with other nomadic families or other families who are, are world schooling their kids and, and meet for socialization. We do cooking classes. So Wherever we go, we end up doing cooking classes to learn how to cook the local cuisine. We do art classes. As a matter of fact, I have a paint and sip art therapy class that I enrolled us in for next week. We are always experimenting. We are always learning. And I think what World School has taught me is one, first of all, that I end up learning based off of her natural curiosity. There's a lot of things that I have learned simply because of her. And then two, it's it's opened my mind and broadened my uh, perspective as to what learning actually is. Because everything is a moment for learning. And learning doesn't have to be confined to a classroom or to a book because not everyone learns the same way. And I think the goal of education, when you look at education and what the definition of that is, and, and learning is, is did you get the lesson? I think one of the the questions that I often get asked by parents who come to me about world schooling concept is, well, how many hours do you spend teaching? And that's because their, their mind is very linear when it comes to the concept of learning because they're used to being in the classroom and they're used to being lectured to. For me, learning is not about lecturing. It's about, did you understand the concept? If we are having a homeschool lesson and she understands and grasps the concept of whatever it is that we're talking about in two hours, then that lesson is over. If she got the concept in 45 minutes, then she got it. She understood it. And we're going to move on to another lesson. For me, it's all about 
What did you learn? Did you retain the information? How did it change you as a person? And how do you feel you can take that information and transmute that information into something that's going to be tangible or if it's going to to enhance, be something that you can utilize to enhance your life and your experience as a human being on the planet. For me, that is what education is and that's what learning is. And that's what our world school experience is centered around. I asked Candace to describe to me the differences between living in Rome and in Istanbul. I do get asked that often. For me, it was really honestly a matter of crunching the numbers because my rent in Italy came to about 14, a little over 1400 US dollars a month. Granted, we had a three bedroom, one bathroom apartment that was about 10 minutes walking distance from the Coliseum. And we loved our neighborhood, but I was really kind of living on my savings at that time, my savings and my investments. And I knew it was that was not going to last forever. When I got to Istanbul, I really started looking over my budget, looking at what I had to work with. And I was like, okay, I've got to figure out how I'm going to remain abroad long term. I don't want to go back to the States. At that point, I was there is just no way in the world I can see myself living in the U.S. again. It's just not going to happen. So in Italy, we had a student visa. We were able to stay in the country each year because we were studying Italian and our, our language school did our paperwork for us. But obviously, going to Turkey, Turkey did not have that type of program, nor did I want to be studying a foreign language and having to go to school in order to meet the requirements necessary to legally stay in the country. I started looking at different visa options. And I realized, I was wow, okay, if I purchase property here, I can get residency here. I just started doing the necessary research and I realized that it would be financially advantageous of me to purchase a small flat here or apartment here in Istanbul and then put my mom and my daughter on the title deed along with myself. And that would allow us to have permanent residency because here in Turkey, the law for foreigners states that if you are a foreigner and you own immovable property in Turkey, then you have what's called right of stay and they have to issue you a permanent residency. It it was really kind of like killing many birds with one stone kind of thing by purchasing a a property here. We we were able to get our our long-term visas. We don't have to worry about that every year. We were able to have a place to actually live and not pay rent. And, And we've been living in this property while we renovate it so that we can eventually rent it out. And then, of course, the rental income that we're going to receive from from this property will allow us to offset the cost of living in another apartment and allowing us to live here in Turkey virtually rent-free. It was just really, I felt like, the smartest decision to make for us. And, and as far as the process, the process is a little different from purchasing a home in the States. For one It's a lot more difficult to get a loan and get financing. So we had to end up paying cash for, or on this end, we ended up having to pay cash for our, our home here. When you, if you go through the owner, when you decide, okay, I want this property, what you then do is you have to give your deposit directly to the owner. There is no third party escrow here. That's a little scary, but I mean, there are things that you can put in place having them to sign a, an agreement form. When, when I did my real estate deal, I did not go through a real estate agent. I actually hired, it was a by owner type of deal. And I hired a reputable real estate attorney to help me with the real estate transaction. And so making sure that 
that the property was owned by the person who was actually selling it, making sure that there were no infringements or property line infringements, making sure that there was an inspection done. I had to do all of those things. Luckily in Turkey, Turkey does require that all foreigners have to have their property inspected by a state certified inspector prior to the closing of the property. That was also nice to know that there was that little cushion. The only little glitch that ended up happening in the end of is after we ended up closing, the owners let the previous owners let me know that they needed an additional two weeks in order to move out. (laughs) And I was like, okay, y'all should have communicated this to me beforehand (laughs) because then we could have made the appropriate arrangements. I was really, really upset about that. And we ended up working it out amicably. They said that that was a cultural nuance that a lot of people here in Turkey will allow the previous owners to kind of stay and have some additional time to move out. But I told them that that's a specific cultural nuance and that they should not have expected for someone that's not Turkish to know that. And that next time there needs to be a certain level of communication. But like I said, it ended up working out at the end, but I'm very happy. Like I said, with our property, it's going to be great for the purpose for which we purchased it. And it's allowed all of us to get residency. Matter of fact, my mom just got her residency issued to her last month. So it's been really great. And I think buying property in Turkey is an absolute great idea. I know a lot of times Turkey gets a very bad rap, uh, especially in the States from the the negative media. But I, I find Turkey very wonderful. If you're earning U.S. dollars, you can really leverage making U.S. dollars to get ahead financially. It's just a beautiful country. There's such diverse terrain, beautiful beaches, and the people are quite friendly and welcoming. So in general, in generally speaking, we've had a very pleasant experience being property owners here in, in Turkey. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if this episode has got you seriously thinking about your move abroad journey and perhaps how you may need some extra help and support, then please consider joining the Move Abroad with Intention course. Be sure to be signed up for the Flourish in the Foreign newsletter, which you can do at flourishintheforeign.com. And Keep an eye out on your emails for when doors open. Now, the Move Abroad with Intention course is currently a five-week live course. What does that mean? It means that there is five weeks of pre-recorded material, but every week for five weeks, there is about an hour of live discussion, just you and me and the rest of the cohort talking about the material from the week, but also about anything and everything about moving abroad, living abroad, and thriving abroad. If you're looking for an opportunity to chat with me and have me kind of go over your game plan to moving abroad, this is the course for you. I no longer do one-on-one consultations, so this is your opportunity. And just to let you know, this course will not always be a live course, meaning there will not always be a live component where you'll be chatting with me. If that's important to you, you'll definitely want to be sure to sign up for this cohort of Move Abroad with Intention. All right. All information about the course you can find in the description of this episode. And of course, on the website, flourishintheforeign.com. Okay. Let's continue the show. I asked Candace to tell me about how she has dealt with having chronic illness abroad and any advice she may have for those of you who are considering moving abroad and have a chronic illness. One of my other deciding factors for leaving the U.S. was my health issues that I have. I couldn't afford healthcare in the States. I just couldn't, especially with a chronic condition like sarcoidosis. I needed to be somewhere where I had access 
to quality health care that was affordable. And so moving to Europe allowed me to be able to do that. When I did originally get treatment, I actually flew to Germany to see a pulmonary specialist there, which is where I was able to get my diagnosis, where I was able to get certain treatments. And I think everything costs $200. That was just for the actual appointments and x-rays and medication. I mean, then if you throw in the hotel fare and the plane fare, it still came up to be virtually nothing in comparison to what I would have paid if I would have paid cash in the States. Some of the things that I look for when I'm abroad are those things like where are the best hospitals, doctors, specialists? Are there any barriers or hoops that I would have to go through in order to see a specialist? What are my private insurance options versus public health care system options? Here in Turkey, I am, I've decided that I am going to get private health insurance, even though as a resident, I qualify for the public healthcare system that they have here, which is virtually free, but things are affordable here that I feel like I can get private health insurance at a decent cost. I think the quote that I received, it's like $600 for the entire year. And that is extremely economical because when I was in the States, I was paying close to $700 a month for our health insurance. And I actually had to end up dropping it because I got to a spot where I just couldn't afford it anymore. So I think that considering your healthcare concerns over the long term, you need that that's something that you should factor in if you're considering moving abroad and just kind of pinpointing where it is that you can get quality healthcare because there are countries, I'll put it like this, there are countries who offer quality health care, but it's not affordable or accessible. You have some countries that offer accessible health care, but it's not quality. Like you just don't know what you're going to get. Case in point, when I was living in Puerto Rico, I was, I was scared. I didn't want to get sick there, like seriously sick there because it's just hit or miss with a lot of the medical care there. But here in Turkey, they have quite um, good health care in place. There's some really great doctors here and hospitals here. And so I feel really good in general that I can get really quality healthcare and it's very, very affordable for me. I asked Candice the question that is always anticipated, which is what has dating abroad been like for you? Yes, that is, that's a hot question. I think in general, when I compare dating in the States to dating abroad, I will definitely hands down say dating abroad is much better. First of all, I just get asked out on way more dates, which is nice. And I think in general, it's been a great experience. Most of my dating experience abroad has been in Italy and Turkey. And I can, I can definitely speak from that perspective. I found Italian men to be very charming. Italian men understand, they understand women and they understand how women want to be treated. I found that Italian men will just go above and beyond and take you on these amazing dates. And I, and a great deal of chivalry. I think in the States, a lot of, I hear a lot of women complain about different things and they don't realize it's a cultural issue. And uh, the way that you want to be treated in your mind's eye or in your fantasy in the States, that's the way you will be treated in general, especially in Italy. And again, I think just being a foreigner and especially being a black woman, you're just you're highly visible and you're going to get a lot more men that are interested in you. And dating, after all, it's a numbers game. The odds are definitely in your favor, whereas in the States, the odds are definitely not in your favor. Here in Turkey, I have to say too, similar, it's kind of funny because everywhere I go, people will complain about men. But again, in general, I've had great dates here in Turkey and I've had two serious relationships since I've been here, which they didn't work out. But I can say that overall, my, my general treatment has been good versus not getting any attention or very little attention 
in the States. And so I feel like that certain level of hopelessness is not there. And because I feel like because I don't feel desperate, I don't have to settle for any sort of behavior that I find displeasing. I'm just like, okay, you buy because I can get another one of you in a heartbeat. <laughs> so it's it's all good. I would prefer to date over here than to date in the States. There's just no way in the world. And also I think <clears throat> one thing that I've learned dating in various cultures because I've dated in Barcelona, I've dated in France and Germany and here. I feel dating Turkish men is more in alignment with my personal values as a woman because this is a more marriage-minded culture. So people get married here. It's not like in certain parts of Europe where people just live together for years on end. I, I find that that's more in alignment with who I am. The way that they love children and, and prioritize family life is just and, and very ambitious men and very hardworking men. And these men have a great deal of masculinity and masculine pride. So it's just more in alignment with who I am. So I feel much more comfortable dating Turkish men, not to mention Turkish men are very handsome. <laughs> I asked Candace to describe to me her most memorable date abroad. And y'all, it's a good one. I think my most memorable first date would have to be with this Italian gentleman who picked me up and took me to this restaurant. I have very, because I have sarcoidosis, because of that, I have a lot of different dietary requirements. And I had told him that because obviously eating out is a big thing when you're dating. And I just didn't want to get triggered. I let him know all those things. He's like, okay, don't worry. We get to the restaurant and there's nobody there. And I'm like, where's everybody in the restaurant? And he's like, it's just you and me for the evening. And this man had the entire restaurant shut down for just he and I. And I got a chance to speak with the chef and we got all this beautiful service. And it was such a, a romantic evening. And I think that was the most romantic date I've ever had. So when we talk about dating abroad as Black women in general, the topics of desirability, exoticism, and fetishism come up. They come up all the time. People ask, will I be desirable abroad? Or maybe sometimes that's the underlying question. People always want to know, well, do they date Black women there? Or something like that. That's a desirability question, right? And then some Black women are hesitant to date outside of their race or their culture because they are afraid of being fetishized. But some women are not afraid and they lean into what is called kind of being exoticized, right? Being different for the culture. It's a whole conversation. And perhaps one day I will have a whole podcast episode about it, even though I have had YouTube videos about this during the Dating Abroad series, so check those out. Anyway, I asked Candace to kind of reflect upon desirability and exoticism as she has navigated dating abroad. I think for me, my desirability has increased. I know this is a, a trigger word for a lot of Black women in particular, but being exotic for the environment contributes to that, but it's something that I accept. I don't look at it as being a negative thing at all. It, it just, I mean, exotic, just like I said, it just means different for the environment. And in the States, I didn't feel desired at all, at all. I just really didn't. I, I definitely felt ignored. And being here in this part of the world I do feel like a desirable woman and it feels very good because I think every woman wants to feel desired on some level, feel like her beauty is recognized and she wants to be seen. And so, and seen for who she is. I am very grateful that I've had the opportunity to feel like I am a beautiful and desirable woman 
period. It's boosted my confidence. It's boosted my self-esteem. It's helped me to embrace my humanity. It's helped me to tap even further into my sensuality as a woman and not be afraid to let that part of me shine. And it just feels good. I really love talking about softness and, and, and soft life. And if you guys have been listening to the Flourish and Form podcast, in particular, the IG lives, you know that I've actually been talking about this since the very beginning, actually. It's not new. And I'm not jumping on any bandwagon. We've talked about soft life and how living abroad can be a pathway for an expression of soft life for Black women. Definitely check out those IG lives. But I'm always very fascinated to talk about this kind of topic. During our conversation, I asked Candace how her concept of femininity has evolved or changed by living abroad. Maybe even her concept of womanhood. And definitely I wanted to get into softness, which is, let me say, softness is not exclusive to, you know, women and the feminine. But I did ask her about how kind of these themes have come up in her life as she's lived abroad. And maybe if she has any thoughts about how her concept of these topics have evolved through her time abroad. Absolutely. And I do. I think I've always been on a femininity journey. And I'm not sure if you're familiar at all with the first book that I wrote, which is The Black Girl's Guide to Being Blissfully Feminine. But I talk a lot about my journey of growing up in the inner cities of Cleveland, Ohio, and not feeling safe and having to work through feeling vulnerable to get to that that soft part of my heart to be able to express my femininity and how growing up in that environment really triggered a lot of negative things and created barriers for me being soft for me being feminine for me being that that woman that I really wanted to be as moving abroad and, and specifically experiencing Italy, Italy allowed me to really lay in that softness. Just from being in an environment where people kind of honor women in a different way, it's very safe. And I, w- I got a chance to be woman first for the first time in my life. I was woman first. I was able to kind of put down that backpack of junk that I was carrying on my back. I was able to take off my cape. I was able to breathe. I was able to really just rest for the first time. And that allowed me the space to be vulnerable. And I think when you're, when you are in a safe environment, that allows you to open up as a woman big time because you're not always on the defense And I think a lot of women uh, back in the States are unconsciously on the defense a lot and they don't realize it. But I immediately recognize the difference and the shift. And it's been a beautiful unfolding. And and even here in Istanbul, I would have to say it's kind of funny because going back to comparing the two cities, Istanbul is definitely safe as, as safer than a lot of places in the States, believe it or not. But I don't feel as safe in certain areas as I did in Rome as a whole. But I can say still, I'm able to be woman first. I'm able to rest. People are very helpful. And like I said, Turkish men are very helpful. I mean, even my neighbors, if they see me carrying too many bags, oh, let me carry that for you. Or, oh, let me do this for you. Or it's just a part of the culture that makes you hyper aware that you're a woman that you're cared for. And I know maybe for some women that is offensive, but for me, it's absolutely not offensive. I appreciate the help. I welcome that energy and I welcome any opportunity that comes where I don't always have to be my own man and I can just be soft and open and I think, too, just kind of diving into some of the other elements of, of vulnerability, I think 
emotionally speaking, as I develop as a woman, I think it's this process of living abroad has helped me to feel more comfortable expressing myself, expressing my heart, crying if I need to cry, allowing for a lot more authenticity. And if I'm not okay, I'm not okay reaching out for help when I need it. That can feel scary, but I think when you reach that place, it feels very comforting. And so I've gotten a lot more comfortable with myself and and being vulnerable. And that's a place that if you would have asked me, would would I have felt that level of comfort 20 years ago? No, definitely not. But now I I welcome all of that. And it's just helped me to further appreciate being a woman. And I think further appreciate what this international journey has truly done for me. I asked Candice to share with all of you some of her dating abroad advice. I would say just recognize when you're triggered. That That's the biggest thing. Be aware of everything. Journal down when you are triggered. Learn to unfold. I think in Western culture and especially in the States, and especially if you grew up in environments like myself, or if you're a survivor of sexual abuse, or sexual assault, you might have the belief that men are not safe, that men are going to take advantage of you and unfold. Don't think that every time a man is nice to you abroad, that it's just, there's some pretense behind it. I mean, sometimes it is, but what I have found oftentimes it's, it's not, it's, Oftentimes it is, it's, it's quite genuine and because men really appreciate women on a lot of levels and you're going to get men who are very helpful and they want to help you for nothing in return, or they're going to be very chivalrous and you might not be used to that level of chivalry and just be open to all of it. And, and just, I guess, just melt into it. And take off and understand that you don't have to carry that armor and that and have all of those guards up. And I think as long as your standards, as long as your standard of treatment is strong and you have firm boundaries, you don't have to walk in that spirit of fear or have a, a, a steel wall over your heart with little snipers pointing down. You don't have to do that. You can have that confidence that you have the intuition enough to know when you're in a situation that's not going to be good for you and you can just cut it off and walk away. But I I think initially starting that, that healing journey, because I mean, travel in and of itself is healing, but journaling, being aware when you're triggered write it down, ask the introspective questions as to why are you feeling this way? Doing self-care, a lot of self-care. I implement self-care Sunday, especially before COVID. My daughter and I, we would go to the uh, Roman bathhouses there in Italy. I do Yoni steaming too. If you're not familiar familiar with that, look that up and and you can incorporate that into your self-care practice. This This is something that we don't talk about a lot. But making sure to get mental health services or therapy, if you need it, that will definitely help you on your femininity journey. Because a lot of times the things that are hindering you from tapping into the feminine and the the principles and attributes of femininity that are powerful can be attributed to childhood traumas or maybe certain issues that you haven't gotten over in your life. Don't be afraid to start there either and just getting the help that you really need. But for me, I like living a sensual lifestyle. And and by sensual lifestyle, I mean, I live a lifestyle where every day I wake up, I want everything to be stimulating, uh, beautifying my house, wearing my perfumes, making sure my environment looks lovely, 
eating foods that are rich and nutritious and tasty, experiencing things like going to get a cappuccino or a cup of of tea. Everything is is something for the senses and to stimulate the senses. And so I, I believe that when you lead with that, when you lead with the intention of living that sensual lifestyle, you can further tap into your femininity in a, in a very strong way. I asked Candice about her personal definition of wellness and how that definition, how that concept and how that practice of wellness has evolved as she has lived abroad. Every single thing about this global lifestyle that I'm living is it comes from a place of wellness. Me being abroad is wellness. And and I'll kind of dive deep because for the past, I want to say maybe three or four years, I've been independently studying epigenetics and female biochemics. Matter of fact, I'm going to be enrolling in a master's equivalent program on female biology. And when you look at things from a cellular level, if you really want to change your life and you want to change the course of your life, especially if you're a woman that's focused on certain levels of generational family excellence, healing trauma, it has to happen from on a cellular level. And a part of that can come when you change your environment. Your genes, your DNA literally changes when you change your environment, when you change your speech, when you change the types of foods you eat, the types of people you entertain, your body responds on a cellular and genetic level. With that being said, everything about this journey for me has been a journey of wellness, mind, body, and soul. So I had to live in a place that created the least restrictive environment for me to experience wellness at least 90% of the time, if not 100% of the time, having access to fresh foods that are affordable, being in an environment where I feel safe, being in an environment where I feel my daughter is safe, going back to the healthcare. I have that component. I don't feel I need to worry about things. And where I can experience authentic relationships, where I can experience and prioritize love, which is something we don't even talk about. Nobody nobody talks about love being a priority. Love is absolutely a priority and it's something that we should all seek to experience in our lives. Having the space and the time and the energy to nurture all of my relationships, that is all part of my wellness. Being able to pamper myself and and go to the hammams and and be able to afford the skincare treatments that I'm able to afford to look my best and feel my best have all been important. And all of those things are really central to my making the decision that I made to live abroad and to live in Turkey because I can I can just better leverage my talents, my energy, my time, my resources to live that lifestyle here. And again, I am grateful for the life that I'm living because it allows me to do that. And it allows me to have that high level of wellness in my life. And I wouldn't trade it in for anything in the world. Thank you so much, Candice, for sharing your story. If you all enjoyed this episode, be sure to keep up with Candice via her social media. I actually just wrote a book um, not too long ago called The Black Girl's Guide to Living, Loving, and Traveling Abroad. And it's kind of an intro with my stories and all of the information I've picked up to kind of make a journey like this possible and easier for women who want to live abroad, I can be found on Instagram at Fearless Freedom Lifestyle. And it's it's actually Fearless underscore Freedom underscore Lifestyle on Instagram. And, you know, one of the things that I do is I just help women to purchase property abroad, relocate abroad, especially if you want to relocate 
to Turkey and to Italy. So anybody can reach out to me on Instagram. My inbox is always warm and friendly. And I really love hearing from all of you ladies ready to take that leap of faith into this global lifestyle. Thank you so much, Candice. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you'd like to learn more about Candice, you can by visiting her show notes page on the Flourish in the Foreign website, flourishintheforeign.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. If you are inspired to take that leap abroad and you don't know where to start, I invite you to grab the Moving Abroad with Intention Guide that is now available for purchase. If you're interested in starting a business abroad and you don't really know where to start, I invite you to grab the Build a Business Abroad Guide too, which you can do so via the link in the description of this episode. And... As always, big thanks to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this here podcast. And remember, it is not about moving abroad. And it surely isn't about just being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See y'all next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I almost feel like making adult friendships abroad is actually easier than making adult friendships back in the U.S. Or maybe even any home country, wherever you're from. And I think everybody abroad understands like that you're there by yourself. Even if you have a husband and children, it, most people don't have their mother, their father, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins and stuff like that there. Like, even if they do have people. And then a lot of us were there just us. And it's very transient. People are used to people coming and going. There's an ease of just saying, oh, I don't know you that well, but come over and have a drink. Come over, eat dinner with us. Come out with us going here. And that just was really just so fulfilling.